Hello and welcome to the rise of the event technologist in the age of hybrid events with Brandt Kruger. This is the latest episode of the Event Manager podcast. My name is Miguel Neves and I'm the editor-in-chief of EventMB. And on this episode, I get to speak to Brandt Kruger about a range, a wide range of topics, including how technology has made it easier to deliver hybrid events. We ask if it's ever a good idea to have on-site attendees network with online attendees. We talk about the concept of equivalent value, where we look for ways to deliver value for online audiences, but not replicating exactly what on-site audiences have. We talk about the data gold of online event experiences and also why data flows between platforms can be challenging. We talk about the amazing value that custom design sponsorships can have for online events. And we talk about why going from free to paid events for online events is going to be very hard in the future. We talk about why there is a need for an event technologist on each event's design team and the simple business case for that role. We also talk about why it's so hard to recommend specific platforms. And we talk about why Brandt would rather see old technology used well than new technology used badly. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Event Manager Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. And I am joined by none other than Brant Kruger. Brant, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well. It's my absolute pleasure to be here today. Excellent. Now, Brent has just helped us uh, complete the hybrid event evolution guide that we just put out recently. Thank you so much for all your work on that, Brent. And uh, I know hopefully people listening uh, have read the guide. But if you haven't, do do make sure you download. It's free and on our website. But Brent, um, just giving it, give us a quick overview of your kind of thought process when when you kind of got to to writing and thinking about hybrid events. I know you you, you think a lot about hybrid events and then do a lot of consulting, but how do you how can you try and kind of summarize your ideas of hybrid events in, into a single report? Was was that easy or how did you kind of try to do that? um was that easy (laughs) sure no no Uh, you know i'm i'm really truly enjoying having opportunities like this one to kind of uh you know get some get some thoughts on paper and you know it's not just my thoughts either you know i was really lucky to be part of some of the folks that were playing around with this stuff 10 years ago and you know, we, we are all standing on the shoulders of giants. And so the folks that were, you know, experimenting with hybrids and pods and all of that kind of stuff with a, uh, a lot of, if anybody remembers the event camp series of 10 years ago, um, I think it's 10, might be more than that at this point. You know, it's 
for me, what, what the reason I bring that up is because, uh, you know, we, we, we made a lot of the mistakes 10 years ago. And so there are best practices out there. And so just getting that information into people's hands is, is a, you know, top priority these days as they're struggling, have been struggling over the course of the last year with taking their events online and now struggling with can we, should we do hybrid, um, you know, and the answer for me always goes back to, to goals and objectives and, you know, what are you trying to do? And then we'll figure out whether or not hybrid's the right choice, or if you should go digital only, or if a smaller in-person event is it. So, you know, when I am putting these things together, it's, 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 you know, it's always hard when you're writing <laughs> to a certain extent, but at the same time, like I said, these best practices have been around for a long time. Things like what we talk about in the guide about, you know, engagement strategies and, you know, having a good moderator and being able to, you know, keep things moving and flowing in ways that are more like a TV show and less like, um, you know, our standard, I'm going to stand here and talk for 45 minutes with a bunch of slides and then we'll do 15 minutes of Q&A type stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, it's, it's really interesting that you go back to this like 10 years ago and, and, and I... I imagine some things have changed from from 10 years ago and surely one of those is the technology right i mean 10 years ago we were the very beginnings of of video chats and that kind of thing i think skype was sort of a google hangouts or something were sort of just starting so they were the the only kind of options but i mean the technology's changed a lot H how have you seen it evolve in this time not just the technology but how that then impacts the the design of the hybrid events I mean, the, the good news is that it's made it easier. I mean, the, the stuff that we were putting together back in the day, which I, as I get older, I find myself saying more often, um, it was, uh, you know, put together with spit and bailing wire and, you know, chewing gum. And yeah, it was Skype running into a machine that we were, you know, then patching into the soundboard and it was running on a 40 second delay where, you know, if you would throw a poll out to your remote audience, you would literally have to vamp for a minute and a half to account for the time that it would take for that, you know, to go out over the internet, get encoded, go through the server, spool out to your remote audience, them hear the question, process the question, think about their answer, type their answer into a box and get it back to you. So what's really, really changed is the speed with which we can communicate with our remote audiences, um, the quality of the remote platform experience, you know, what we're wrapping it in. It's no longer just a, a Skype call that's being patched it together in the back. Um, the ability, you know, to a certain extent over the course of the last six to eight years, the advancement of event apps. So the mobile event apps that we've used with our in-person events, that's going to help us as we now try and reincorporate in-person audiences to connect those audiences, which if you read this guide, if hopefully if you take you know, one thing away, it's about connections, right? It's making connections between your remote audience and your in-person audience. So using the technology of mobile event apps, we can have the, you know, the remote audience and the in-person audience, you know, using the same chat, asking the same questions, upvoting the same questions, you know, so, oh, that's a great question. I'm going to click on that and upvote it. So really getting them to feel more like they're part of the same event 
as opposed to we just stuck a camera in the back and you're watching it, you know, a more of a broadcast model. Um, for me, hybrid is all about creating those connections between the audiences. So the technology has really helped do that by reducing the lag time, by making it easier to be all kind of in the same space, as opposed to, uh, again, back in the day, we were literally using Twitter as the chat, as the back channel, um, so that people could be in the same space. So those in the room were on Twitter and those remotely were on Twitter and we were using that as the back channel chat. Now that's all built into the platforms more often than not. Yeah, really interesting. And what, what about this idea of you know, having the audiences communicate with each other? I, I totally get it in, in, when you're discussing content, you know, when there's a speaker, when there is a feature, when there's something happening kind of on the stage and there's something to talk about. But what about when it comes to the sponsorship, the exhibitor, the kind of networking side of things? Are we realistically going to get people on site talking to people online with a sort of network in a networking kind of situation, networking session, or in a kind of trade show kind of session? I think it's possible, but you get you always have to go back to the the do we need to, do we want to, do we have to, you know, what are we trying to achieve here? Uh, it's obviously easier for the remote attendees to interact with each other. Um, than it is to have like direct networking, you know, with someone at the conference. But I think you can get if you if you think about just a straight up online event where there's no in-person component, you can you can start to to do networking or, or in that context, uh, if you think about like, oh, that was a really great question. Who wrote that kind of thing? Like, oh, you know, that was Miguel. And oh, wow, that's really great. And he's making great comments in the chat. I got to meet this guy. You know, that kind of thing. That type of interaction could easily happen between the remote audience and the in-person audience. I think I can, you know, and you mentioned that you've 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 talked to Will Curran, and and if that's an episode, I don't know, depending on when this is released, maybe that's been released that was now. Released already, been. yeah. Okay. Um, this is the kind of thing that he and I have talked about, you know, when we're in dreamland of, of you know, you have, you, you've seen these pods on site where people use them for phone calls and networking. I could easily see, hey, this is a great conversation. Let's go, you know, having some networking opportunities where you are actually hopping on a video call with someone in the remote audience from on site. Um, that's, that's an intriguing possibility of like being able to, to connect with people remotely on site. I don't think it's, um, you know, I'm always looking for equivalent value is, is, is one way of putting it. So it's not like you're going to be able to exactly duplicate the type of networking that you would have uh, with an in-person experience, but you can try and find equivalent value. How do we connect people um, in, you know, to account for a kind of serendipity that happens on site where you just bump into someone in the hallway. That's always the example that people give. All right, well, if we can't do that, how can we try to design in some serendipity um, and design in ways for people to quote unquote bump into each other? And then once they do, how do they connect? You know, is there a way in the event app to, to exchange information and then, um, and then follow up later with, with uh, you know, with a, a phone call or something? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that that makes a lot of sense, but it, it does feel like a particular case, right? It, it feels like it, it works well when there is that sort of like common interest. You find those people that you think you want to talk to. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. And it's, you know, you know, a lot of our events are about community, right? So usually you've got some kind of common interest at the, at the core anyway, but then yeah, finding some kind of reason why I want to connect with almost, I'll be honest with you, almost all of the people that are my friends in the industry, I met online first. Um, you know, I didn't meet them in person by, you know, by serendipity. I met them on Twitter and then, oh, I start following them and like, oh, this person's pumping out some great content. And then when you do start interacting with them and then you meet them on site, then it's like, you've already know them. It's, it's, a, and it's, it's, it's a great thing. So it's, it's interesting to me when I hear people say, you know, you can't connect online, you can't network online, you can't meet people online because I've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. And so it's hard for me to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I have similar experiences. I think I have met most people in person first and then sort of gotten to know them better uh by kind of following them online but now especially during this last 18 months i think there's a lot of people that a lot of people i know quite i feel like i know quite well that i've never met in person and uh, and i'm sure when i do get to meet them if that does happen it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun so yeah looking forward to that i was but, never uh, much of a hugging guy you know before <laughs> all this but like i've i've got a feeling that once we get safe and it's you know like i've got stored up right because <laughs> there's going to be all these people like you say that i've met over the course of the last two years virtually that i'm going to first in-person conference i go to it's going to be like hey, hey! <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah it'll be a lot of a lot of excitement um but go going back to this sort of connecting question which i think is very, very important. And I think really the crux of, you know, event design, whatever type of event you're doing. Um, how do we solve this, this idea for, for sponsors? You know, I think sponsors, exhibitors, they, they're used to this in-person trade show kind of concept or different kind of ways to get visibility that then lead to conversations. And I feel like that's not really the same in virtual events you know whether they're hybrid or fully virtual that when you go to these trade show booth kind of environments when you go when you present kind of sponsorship opportunities i'm not seeing a, a lot of enthusiasm from the attendees about them uh, and you know maybe it's fair to say that attendees were never enthusiastic about meeting with sponsors on site either but you know you 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 end up meeting people and the, the person selling to you is just a person so you have enjoyable conversations anyway but it feels like there's a bigger barrier to do that in virtual environments and i don't know if you agree with that and you have any kind of ideas of people that are doing that in a in a, in a good way one of the things that we joke about is, is the is the Brant drinking game of every time Brant says know your stakeholders, um, you know every time Brant says it depends. Um, but I think this you know the thing that I keep emphasizing to to your point is is this is a, a perfect know your stakeholders moment that it's most of the people that are having the worst experiences when it comes to sponsors and exhibitors and things like that weren't asked what they're trying to get out of it. And so, you know, if you just say, okay, we need to have an expo because we had an in-person expo. So we're going to do an expo and I need to make sure I get a platform that has expo capability. And then I go to all my exhibitors and I say, it's going to be 12 grand a piece for these virtual booths. And, you know, here's what it does. Ready? Go. Do you want in? You know, and then you do the event and they're like, yeah, we didn't really get what we wanted to get out of that. You know, I can't wait for in-person rather than just going, okay, great. We can't wait for in-person too. We'll see you there. 
really diving in and saying, why, what did you not get out of it? Because as you and I both know, in expo land, there's different types of exhibitors. And there's the type of exhibitor that just wants as many leads as possible. You know, let me, you know, walk by your booth, scan your badge. You know, you, you, you breathed anywhere near me. I'm going to scan your badge. And, you know, so give them, talk to those, those types they're just going to want the people that showed up, right? You're going to, they're going to want the master list of everybody that showed up to the event. Here's your master list. You know, it's all about numbers for them, but the other ones are the ones that relied on getting people into their booth to schmooze, talk. Hey, we got a private party later today. You know, you seem like a hot lead. We're going to invite you. Here's your little pin, you know, so that you can get in the speakeasy later today. You know, they're looking for hot leads. And so, Trying to find, and this is where I kind of go back to that equivalent value thing is, okay, we can't reproduce the, you know, the I'm just happened to wander by and I wander in your booth and suddenly it turns out you're a really great lead and we, you know, we're going to invite you to the party. So how do we then get you as that type of exhibitor, the hot leads? And that's where the data comes in. And that's where online events have such an amazingly powerful amount of data gold of not just who attended, but what sessions did they attend? What are the other interests? What other booths did they stop by? All of that kind of stuff is where you can then start to provide tremendous value to those, those hot lead people that need hot leads for their exhibits and their sponsorships in order to justify the expense. Okay, great. Not only here's the list of people that stopped by your booth, here's a list of 50 people that didn't stop by your booth, but went to these specific breakout sessions that are all about what you do. We think maybe you should reach out and contact them and vice versa. I'm always about trying to, to provide um, whenever it comes to data uh, provide value to the attendee as well. Same kind of thing can be said to the attendees. Hey, we noticed you went to these, you know, four breakout sessions on blah, 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 you know, and so here's, here's three exhibitors that you didn't stop by that do that. You might want to be, you might want to check them out. And so making those connections again, between, you know, the, between folks in an online environment or even in an, in, you know, a hybrid environment is, all about going back to what are their goals and objectives, which is one of the other brand drinking games is goals and objectives. So, um, it, so what are they trying to get out of it? And, and, and specifically dealing with, you know, is, is this a person who just wants sheer numbers or is this a person who's going to want data? That was probably a long answer to a short question, but, but it was, you know, that's, that's how you do it is by delivering equivalent value, not the same yeah. thing, but equivalent value. Yeah, for sure. And, and do you know, do you have examples or do you know of people that are doing this well that you are out there? Yeah. So the, 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 the planners that are doing it, they're basically they're looking at custom sponsorships. So, you know, let's, let's talk sponsorships instead of just pure, instead of exhibitors, just to break that out. So um, one of the effective strategies that we've seen that was very early on, um, the company basically said, you know what, we're going to take out the top tier. We're going to stop doing the double platinum double diamond and then diamond and then gold and then we're going to just take out the top tier we're, we really appreciate your your you know support in the past we're going to drop you down for less money and people are like okay great pandemic is you know we don't want to spend more money that's great sounds good and then they're starting to do value adds to add things back in of like okay you're the type of person who just wants the leads great here's the leads but we do have this data available, like what I was talking about before of here's, you know, who went to what sessions and that kind of stuff for an additional $3,000, we can give you access to that data. So you can start to value add back in to 
get that sponsorship money back up again. And sometimes by taking things down a tier, you know, saying, so, you know, we're going to bring everybody down. You can make up in volume what you had from those one or two top tier sponsors um, by, by opening up some of your lower levels a little bit. So that's, that's one possible way of, of reconfiguring things a bit. Let me just sense check this. So you're saying that it may be an upsell instead of delivering to a sponsor, all the leads, it, it may actually be an upsell to deliver them. Maybe all the leads anyway, if they already get that, but then a filter on those leads that says this 20% of this audience is interested in this angle. So that then gives them much more insight into that audience and not just the sort of top of the funnel lead list. Exactly. And so that way you can service the people who want the hot leads, who want the the more, um, more refined data, as well as the people who just want the master list. And, and it looks like you're being, well, it's not, it doesn't look like you are being more proactive and, and giving them more of what they want and delivering more value to the point, hopefully, where it's like, yeah, heck, I'll, I'll pay you a couple thousand dollars more for that. Sure. And do you think that this kind of business model is, is sufficient? I mean, one of the things we've seen a lot is, is the struggle for virtual events to really have business models that, makes sense. Uh, and I like your idea of equivalent value. I think that makes a lot of sense, but I, th- I still think virtual events are probably quite far in terms of what people are willing to invest in terms of registration and in terms of sponsorship from the in-person equivalents. You think this is sort of going enough, you know, is, is it, is it valuable enough that, that it sort of starts to become profitable again? Uh, or do you think companies are are still going to struggle? I think it's 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 unfortunate that for a lot of folks we can't whichever metaphor you wanted to use put the toothpaste back in the tube, put the genie back in the bottle, which you know whichever one. But because so many events switched to being free or significantly reduced when they went online last year, it's going to be really hard to build that back. And it's in those instances where you're either going to have to try and make up that attendee money with more sponsorship or greater value delivered to sponsorship and or sponsors and exhibitors, um, or start trying to find ways to get a little bit of that registration money back where you can do similar things to, you know, for your attendees where you can say, you know, Hey, it's a free to attend, but if you want the on-demand, it's a hundred bucks, you know, it's, or it's, it's free to attend. If you want the on-demand, it's a hundred bucks. Or if you would like a trip report at the end, where we give you all of the sessions that you attended, uh, all of the people you connected with, um, in a nice, convenient, you know, all-in-one email package, uh, that's another 50 bucks. You know, I can see again, where a lot of people you know, would be willing to pay a little bit here and a little bit there. It's unfortunately a lot like the the um, uh, mobile phone and tablet software model where we got used to doing things for free. So they've had to figure out ways to re-monetize what, you know, because applications, you know, when you would go buy it out of a box at the store, they used to be 150 to to $1,000 and people got used to free. So now we're getting subscribed to death for, you know, $5.99 here and $12.99 there. So, you know, f- free is not always a sustainable model. So we have to find out ways to get money somehow. So it's it's going to be hard, though, to claw back that registration money if you go fully online. The, the, the 
groups that have been the most successful actually didn't. They they just kept their price the same for their in-person event and went, or they reduced it, you know, a little bit and told people, hey, you're going to save a gajillion dollars on travel costs. Um, it gets more complicated with things like hosted buyer models and stuff. But, you know, for your average ordinary, uh, ordinary conference, um, you know, people are willing to pay for good education and good networking. So if you can figure out a way to provide that online, they're going to still pay for it. And particularly if you have uh, education credits and things like that are sort of, mm -hmm. well, you get the same if you do it virtually or if you do it in person, et cetera. So that, that the value there is maintained. There's, there's not necessarily, but there is a, I, I mean, and I don't want to put words in your mouth in any means, but there is a sort of perceived value of when you go to a conference and there's coffee and dinners and lunches and that sort of hospitality, when you remove all those, it feels like I think the perception is that, I don't know, ticket sales should be half because you're not getting all the food and all the things, right? Um, and it does sort of, the pricing of events, both in person and virtual is complex because your perceived value, what you what you think you're paying for is, is not that linear, right? So many conferences depend on sponsorship to make it work. Uh, and then how that breaks down in terms of the reflection on the ticket cost is sometimes yeah, not linear at all, right? It's sometimes a very complex kind of uh, model. So I could see how it's easy to sort of expect virtual events to be heavily discounted. And that's, you know, uh, why I continue to kind of hammer on the idea of equivalent value so that, yeah, you know, so, so thinking about and, and, you know, these are some of the things that we talk about when we're talking about hybrid event design is thinking about what is the online audience doing when the in-person audience is having the coffee break and taking a bathroom break and things like that. And that's when it's really beneficial to have a dedicated host that's just for the online audience, having dedicated interviews. So after the keynote speaker is done talking to the in-person audience in the main room, in-person audience goes for a coffee break, they then sit down in a side studio and have a secondary interview that's just for the remote audience. So finding ways to deliver different value to the remote audience that they that the in-person audience doesn't get is where you start to make up some of that is yeah, so I don't get the, you know, $900 coffee urn and a you know $20 <laughs> muffin, but I do get this side interview with an amazing keynote speaker, you know, that's almost more intimate, you know, those kinds of things and looking for opportunities, you can do smaller breakout sessions and things like that with higher, you know, profile presenters and, and guest speakers and things like that online where they can be in the comfort of their own homes, as opposed to you people, you know, being, you know, being in a, in a smaller meet and greet type thing. So you can create, value for your online audience, I think, that can make up for the lack of coffee and muffins and things like that. Very interesting. Quick, uh, quick poll, quick, 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 yes or no question in terms of uh, breaks <laughs> for the virtual audience. Do you think they're a good idea? Or do you think it's like, why give the virtual audience a break? No, I think you I think you do. And and if anything, and it, it 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 depends on whether we're talking purely online events versus uh you know versus hybrid you know because then you have to take into account the in-person audience but for purely online events i think you need more breaks um i think you need more opportunities to 
you know, run, grab a sandwich, or, you know, especially if we're talking international time zones where your dinner hour doesn't necessarily line up with the host, you know, locations, dinner hour, letting people duck away for five, 10 minutes here and there, um, I think is more important when you're online um, doing a, a digital first uh, uh, event. Um, otherwise, people are going to do it when they're going to do it. And, you know, it could be during those breaks. I mean, I'm not saying don't have dead air. I'm not saying have dead air. I'm just saying you need those moments where someone could step away. Like, oh, I don't necessarily need to see this interview. I can go away knowing that we're coming back in 10 minutes with another, you know, another keynote or another interview or another presentation. So building your agendas to, uh, I don't want to call it fluff, but, you know, it's, it's just have those like kind of 10 minute sections of things where if I'm into it, I can stay. But if I'm not, I'm not going to really miss anything if I step out and or, or making sure that those are on demand. So those interviews could be made on demand to the uh, remote audience. So, uh, yeah, I think I think you need more breaks. And then for sure, when you're in hybrid land, you need to be thinking about what are what is each audience doing during those breaks um, uh, uh, to 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 make sure that they're getting, you know, my, one of my wife's conventions literally you know like a lot of them unfortunately in these last couple of weeks converted to digital fully digital from fully online over the course of two weeks and they did what a lot of people do they they copied the agenda and brought it online and so as a result she's going to be online for eight hours a day for the next two days and that sounds brutally painful um i you know i wouldn't want to have anything to do with that um so yeah. Now the big question is: <laughs> Is she going to be doing your emails or doing all the other work that she normally does while she's participating in the event? Exactly. I won't name any names, but some of the uh, some of our industries uh, conferences that I that were taken online over the course of the the last year, man, my office was never cleaner than uh, at the at the end of that. Uh, thing because it's just oh, i'm just gonna put that away and tidy that up and dust that and you know repaint that you know that kind of stuff so yeah absolutely are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events the skift meetings awards are back for 2024 recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories and we want you to be a part of it winners will feature on skift meetings sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on the final deadline for submissions is june 11th we encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates for more information and to start your submission head to live.skift.com So, Brent, I know that you've spoken before on the role of the events technologist. Uh, some people say this role doesn't exist. You seem to be living proof that it does <laughs> exist, but there aren't too many like you, or at least sort of independent, right? I think a lot of companies uh, have this role in-house to some extent. W what is this role about and, and, and what need is it trying to fill? It's it's a role that I've believed obviously needed to exist for some time now that there's so much that kind of we as technology people just assume that planners know, you know, that we just assume that they know about AV and we assume they know about technology. And the, the fact of the matter is, it's not that they're not capable of it. One of my favorite quotes actually from a client of mine, she's like, I'm smart enough to learn all this stuff. I can learn how lights work and soundboards and technology. I'm smart enough to do that. I just don't want to. I have enough 
things to worry about between my stakeholder, my internal stakeholders, my sponsors, my exhibitors, my attendees. I have too much to worry about to not deal with, you know, my PowerPoint doesn't work, you know, that kind of thing. So the idea of having this kind of independent technology person as part of the design team, and that's really what I see it as, not as much on the operations side. We have plenty of operations people in this business, right? Between production companies and AV companies um, and uh, the, uh, you know, the event app companies and the engagement app companies, there's plenty of operations. But having someone on the design team who can help guide the design of the event to make the most use of the technology that we get, that we don't just, you know, uh, click around on the web and say, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to pay for that, you know, audience engagement app that I read uh, in an article about. Um, and then that'll be great. We'll have audience engagement, right? You know, I, I always say I would rather see old technology used well than new technology used just for the sake of it being new. And so really going back to the things that I've hit on a couple of times now, you know, goals and objectives and know your stakeholders, being the person on the team who's helping guide the technology into how do we make it work for our goals and objectives? How do we make it work for our stakeholders, delivering value to not only the sponsors and the exhibitors, but also the attendees and the planners? How do we get, you get technology that's going to do that? And so... This it's it's a growing role, and this last year, if anything, has taught taught us that that there's you know there's a need for a, folks you know planners just getting a little help on the technology side, just getting a little bit of an assist when it comes to choosing a platform, when it comes to how do I know which of the 311 billion platforms that are out now is going to be the one that's good for my event, and helping them guide their way into that technology. There's actually a new ish association international consultants um that's uh it's a fairly a fair, fair amount of european but we're trying to expand it around the world so i just want to give a quick plug for them um check it out international consultants uh and because there's a lot of those folks you had mentioned there's not a lot of us well we're trying to gather we're trying to come together we're trying to gather and 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 have our own association when it comes to independent consultants um and I think this, so, so, so when it comes to our in-person events, I always saw that role as being, okay, that's the person on the team who takes the time to actually get three or four audiovisual bids, lines them all up and says, I think we should go with this one, as opposed to just automatically going with the in-house and then expanding that role out into our, um, you know, digital events and our hybrid events, then helping the plan, helping the planning team figure out what platform should we use and what engagement tools should we use and how do we promote those tools and make them the most valuable for all of our attendees. That's really interesting. A quick clarification question. I mean, part of that role is selecting tools, right? Mm -hmm. So, so it, does it need to be an independent person that doesn't, isn't it affiliated with, yeah. with, with platforms? I do. Like one of the things that I'm kind of proud at, to be perfectly, to be perfectly frank, is I'm proud of the fact that I don't do commissions and things like that. So I'm not beholden to any platform <laughs> or mm -hmm. any, you know, any event app or any AV company or anything like that. And so I truly do try and help my clients find, you know, find the 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 platform that's right for them. See, you know, here's the the dirty little secret of platforms. And I, you and I have talked about this in some of the, the webinars and things that we've done. The dirty little secret of online platforms and event apps and things like that is that 80% of it is the same. 
you know, same with registration, like the function, the, the core functionality of all of this stuff is going to be the same. So finding that 20% difference is where the key is. So when people ask me, you know, what event platform should I, you know, what online event platform should I use? I, I like, I can't answer that for you. I can't, you know, here's some of the ones that my clients are using, but that's not an endorsement in any way. That's what's right for them and right for their attendees and their stakeholders and is appropriate for their goals and objectives. But it's, you know, so there is no one answer. It's, 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 unfortunate, but, but it's true. And the, but the good news is then that because the core functionality is the same across all of these platforms, you're going to be okay <laughs> with just about any of them, right? You're, you're going to be fine. And especially if you put some thought into your design, as far as your agenda and how you're presenting things and the quality of your audio and video, you know, you can put on a really good event on Zoom. Full stop. You can. It just takes thought and it takes energy and it takes, you know, ways to overcome fatigue and, you know, good audio and video and good planning. Or you can put on a great event on Intrato, which is, you know, one of the kind of larger incumbent, you know, we were they were around before 2020 type platforms. Right. So you're going to do fine on either one of those. Um Finding out which one is right for you. If you're a medical conference that has scientific posters that need to be presented, some platforms are going to be better at that than others. Some platforms don't even have that functionality. So if that's important to you, that needs that's part of what I see as the technologist's job is to help tease out what's important. You know, what are those goals and objectives, and then trying to find the right technology to fit, rather than well, what is everybody else using? Okay, that's great. Let's use them too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it does feel like it's an extra person to hire for the planner, right? It's sort of like you have your AV team, you have your event tech vendor, or maybe not yet, but you need to have this extra person. And, and one of the things we're seeing, you know, the, the, in the in the report, uh, there's a we asked people where where would they go first for help with hybrid events, and the leading answer is the event tech providers. 35% of people chose event tech providers, uh, which was above any any other one. And and I find that really interesting. I, I find that a little bit surprising because I I guess I, I'm sitting in a similar place to you. Like I see this role of planning it out before you choose a tool. So if you go straight to the event tech provider, you you've chosen the tool. You can't you can't go with another tool at that point. Exactly. But if they're the ones providing all the production support, I'm not entirely confident that people have done all the planning beforehand right so it's um how do you see that evolution and, and i guess w were you expecting this or is this something that's a little surprising I think evolution is the key word, right? You know, we, we, it was like a slam bang, you know, I mean, the 2020, you know, threw us forward I, 10 years, you know, I think we would have gotten here eventually, you know, but it probably would have been 2030, not, you know, now. And it's so it, it threw us forward, it threw us in gear, and we lurched forward. And now things, you know, if you look at the timelines of what's happened over the course of the last year, and compare it to like event apps, it's almost exactly the same timeline, just really condensed, as far as you know, first, there were only a handful, and then it kind of exploded. And then, you know, you started seeing the mergers and acquisitions. And then, you know, even though there's still a really, really full um, marketplace, 
you know, we, you know, we were still seeing two to three new event apps every year after all of that happened. And that's where we're hitting now, where like we've got this full marketplace, we're seeing the mergers and acquisitions, and we're still going to see two to three, you know, new platforms every year kind of rising up and, you know, fading in and out. To your first point, so it is an evolution. It's just a, a really fast one, unfortunately. To your first point about how do we afford the technologist? And this is this was the same before 2020, and it's the same as it is now. The biggest impact that a person like that can have is actually saving you money on budget because it's usually the fact that you don't have time. So, you know, prior to 2020, when we were just talking about technical production, um, it's usually the, the companies that could afford it the least were the companies that would just use the in-house AV company, which is frequently twice to three times as expensive because it was convenient and they just don't have time and they had lean budgets and lean time and lean staff. Um, most of the time, I could easily justify my fees out of what I saved <laughs> in money. And I think, you know, if you, if you extend that out to where we are now, you know, there's, there's huge differences between the prices of different event platforms, you know, ranging from literally 10 to $25,000 an event to 250,000 to $300,000 an event for the same size event, you know, for two different platforms. And if that person can help you make the decision between, you know what, we don't need the $250,000 one the $200,000 one will be just fine. Thank you very much. That's $50,000 in savings and would more than likely cover. I mean, that's a full-time salary person. That's not just a, a contractor that comes in for a single event. So that's that's my experience is that most of the time, the, the money that is saved more than covers the cost of having an independent consultant come in and help out with these things. And would that be sort of a calling card that you use? Like I could save you money on, on your. It's, it's what I do. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I had, I had a client that was a, uh, an in-person client, in-person event, and they had a changeover at the association, new CEO, you know, that kind of thing. And he quite legitimately said, why are we spending this money on this person that doesn't own any equipment and doesn't actually bring anything physical to the table? And I hopped on a call and I said, okay, here's how much I saved your company in 2019 from the initial bid to the secondary bid, you know, it's, and here's what I do on site and here's what I, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, okay, yep. Uh, I signed the contract while we were talking. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a matter of, you know, getting to the right people and, yeah. and really lining it up. Um, those, especially with event platforms now, I mean, there's tens and tens of thousands of dollars of money, potential savings in, in getting you into the right platform. That's going to be just fine. Yeah. Talking about platforms, uh, you know, I think we had, uh, was it Hoosh came out with the Eventech 800s? They, they said there's something like 832 platforms on the market. Only? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the numbers are, are pretty crazy. Um, and, you know, we work with a lot of them, so I, I don't want to put anybody on the spot and not mm -hmm, put you on mm -hmm. the spot. But do you have any kind of bits of technology or, or platforms that you've seen that are that are new or that have done something new that that you're particularly kind of impressed by that you could see doing something a little bit maybe different or, or exciting in the market? Yeah. In the interest of trying to kind of remain impartial, I can go categorize categories and things that have been catching my eye for sure. Um, I, I have, I have a soft spot for glue, 
you know, things that just stick things together. They're not trying to be the out front, you know, main platform, but they're yeah. a service that can connect to multiple platforms. So I saw one recently that was uh, an, an integrated chat that you could easily embed in your own website, into other platforms, into event apps that allow, you know, web uh, embedding, those kinds of things. And then they wanted to integrate with as many different platforms as possible. So it starts to open up some interesting possibilities of, and so not only, uh, you know, am I able to use this chat and make connections and talk to people on this event, but that could carry through to other events that are using other platforms and other providers. And so like you think of like logging into, it was like Discuss or something like that, uh, where you could easily log in and your your web comments would track through from website to website, that kind of idea. Or you know other value add services that will connect to other you know platforms. You know, they don't want to be the 851st platform. They want to be the glue that works with you know 500 of those platforms. So I like services that are like that, where they're adding easily trying to integrate networking or, um, you know, on-demand video content or this chat and, you know, Q&A and connection functionality. So I like companies that are, tr are trying to be the glue rather than the out front, I'm an, on, you know, downstage center. Um, I like, I like um, platforms that didn't pivot <laughs> over the course of the last year, you know, because there was such a rush to add in, you know, okay, now we got to be a video, we need, we need to be a video event platform, we need to be able to do that kind of thing. So I have a soft spot for registration platforms and things like that, that didn't, you know, that they they just kept doing what they were doing before, and only improving the product and making it easier. And again, integrating with as many other platforms as possible. So for me, those are the things that I really look out for is um, and, and again, Will and I have had these conversations many a time is, is it better to part and parcel out every part of your event or go with a juggernaut, you know, that provides all of the event services from end to end um, that I'm sure we can think of a couple examples of that. Um, yeah, the, the you know, and stack, there's right? no right answer. What, there's no right it answer. Simple. It's a, yeah, there's no right answer to, you know, some people it's much easier. It's, it's, it's like the, it's like, it's like the in-house AV thing again, right? It's for some people, it's worth it to just get it all in one place and call it done. Maybe I could do better with individual pieces. Maybe I couldn't, but it's just easy. Um, and then other planners really like to part and parcel it out. One of, uh, we got a breakdown of a, of an online event that happened about a couple months ago. And I think it was eight different, uh, vendors for the tech stack between, customer support and engagement and the virtual studio they were using for the event hosts and the platform itself and the streaming provider on the back end. And so, I mean, it was, it was, it was a brilliant piece of piecing it all together to get best in breed of every single one of those things. Yeah. Really impressive and, and, and interesting. And uh, yeah, I think that the data side of things is, is an area where the all in one option can also have some advantages, especially if, if, if there's nobody on the team to really provide really good way to collect all the data. If you have all, it all in one platform, I think there, there are some big advantages there that the planners are, are kind of seeing now. Well, real quick on that, just, you know, one thing just to be careful of in, in, in where we're at with mergers and acquisitions, I think there's, um, 
uh, sometimes a, a misassumption that once two companies join, their data will seamlessly flow from, from one to the other to the other. And that's usually what they want to have happen, but sometimes that can take time because mm -hmm. it's two different engineering teams. They were two completely different products. And so just be aware that especially with a relatively recent merger or acquisition, it can take some time to get that data flowing appropriately from one to the other to the other. The longer a company has owned something, the uh, the more likely it is that they're able to have those integrations working quickly and 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 or quickly and effectively. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Great advice there. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to wrap up, but I wanted to ask you a question that we ask all our guests, which is who should our next guest be? Or who is someone that you think we should invite to be a guest on the podcast? Well, I, I probably should know who all your previous guests have been. I've been no, I've go ahead. That. Just say somebody. And then okay. if, they've, if they've come, I'll let you know. There's there's so many people that I, I I adore in this industry, but when it comes to design, um, one of the people that I rely on heavily to influence my thoughts is Tahira and Dean. You know, you know. So from she was the uh, second site. best. <laughs> see, there you go. See, I see. I knew you would have all of the best people on here. That's why. But that's I was okay. Hesitant. I mean, that that, yep. that does mean we have great people on yep. the podcast. Mm. Yeah, I I adore her book, um, Intentional Event Design. I, it influences me all the time. Anytime we're talking, and you know what's interesting to me, and I, I know it's just a side note to you know longer answer to a short question, um, but you know me, I, I do these things. Um, <laughs> is the people that I love the most when it comes to event design are always talking about empathy and doing things intentionally. So it's 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 never just a what's new. You know what's you know what's the latest and greatest thing? It's why are we doing it and how are we doing it and how are we doing it in a way that is that is a, that is going to be add value to all of the stakeholders involved, attendees, internal exhibitors, and sponsors. That's great, and I think we should keep your answer as to Hero because uh, it's great to have <laughs> connections like that. Because uh, yeah, she definitely does that and so go back and watch up. Go back and listen to episode two if you haven't done it because because she's amazing. Absolutely. Great, great advice. Thank you, Brent. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being a guest on the Event Manager podcast. Um, if you're listening, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode. Uh, please do subscribe and uh, leave us a review wherever you got your podcasts. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.